0: Hello, everyone. This is the ArtWord podcast, and I'm your host, Jenny Danielson. My guest today is the artist Ryan David Bradley, who's joining me for a conversation around NFTs. So, where are you?
1: I'm at home in London.
0: Mm-hmm. The topic we're going to focus on is NFT. And I was wondering oh. if we could start by, you know, I think for many of us, NFT is a relatively new thing, but for you, the digital is a well-trotted territory. So maybe you could tell me something about when you became aware of NFTs.
1: Possibly in the middle of last year mm. when Super Rare the platform, started to launch and there's another one called Rareable, and um, they reached out to me to be an artist on their platform when they, when they started to launch, which was sometime late 2019, early, early 2020, I think. But um, I mean, technically, like if you consider like the selling of a digital file or a digital marketplace in NFT, then that's been happening for maybe ten years or more. There used to be a site called Tradebit. Um, where I used to sometimes put uh, painting files there, um, and, and you could download them in USD. And there was provenance. Uh, it wasn't registered on the blockchain, but. Um, it did have some sort of functionality that was attempting to do something like that. Um, so I guess this has kind of been in process for a long time, but NFTs tended to really become like uh, into the public consciousness. Sometime around March this year So is when they, everybody started to uh, yeah, use the technology.
0: Would you be able to explain it, what it is?
1: an nft is uh it's really just um an ownership registry so we have um i feel like we've had maybe 20 years of piracy on the internet we're very used to files going on the internet and then very quickly losing their author um and you can rename a, a, a jpeg very easily so the internet felt like a very anonymous place with a lot of content on it and nobody really knew who made any of it. Um, and NFT, in a probably very simple way, just tries to keep the author and the, and her, and the file all, um, connected to each other. So we have a, a registry of who has made what. Um, so in a weird way, it's just an ownership kind of database for creators and content creators and authors and people who own certain assets to kind of um, be able to know who made what. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really quite simple in a way, but it's what was necessary um, for digital kind of worlds to um, keep keep an idea of who, um, yeah, who has produced whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, instead of it being anonymous.
0: Would you, would you say something about your first NFT?
1: I mean, the first ones that I did that were public were the ones in, I did a show in New York um, at the whole gallery in, on the Bowery. And um, we did it in March of this year. We, we were planning it since December, so I had some idea that um, it would be quite a big thing. But I don't think we really truly knew how big it was actually really going to be. So, to do that show um, it, at the peak, of, at the height of when everybody was finding out about it in March this year, um, caused a lot of um, press to be interested, and in, um, the show was really well attended. But uh, so anyway, what we did was um, we had tapestries in the gallery. We also had the NFT of the exact same artwork on the super rare marketplace, which is like the premier NFT platform. Uh, in the world right now and um, different collectors could buy the NFT, the file or the tapestry from the gallery but it was of the same image of the same work but because I make work um, digitally first, us the, it was kind of a philosophical question which is actually the original artwork. Is it the is it the file that you can buy as an NFT or is it the tapestry in the gallery that i had produced from the file. And so really it was up to the collectors to kind of decide which one they thought was the original. And um, what ended up happening was different collectors bought the file and, and a different collector bought the tapestry and so now they they both own what they believe to be the um, the original work. Which was fascinating, and the NFT collectors ended up paying more. They paid a higher price for the file than the the traditional collectors paid for the tapestry, which was also not what I expected.
0: That's quite fabulous, isn't it? But for you, Mm. where is the work?
1: For me, it is the file, but I have a lot of hesitations about how successful the file might get into the future because I'm worried about uh, data storage, integrity, and many different things. So I, I I do feel like, even though I believe the file might be the original, um, I think the tapestry has a, a much better chance of being here in 200 years or, or 300 years. So I, I wrote uh, a thesis once once upon a time in a master's, it was about um, digital longevity and duration, and um, I think the so the the original originality itself to me is something that it, it's it's an emergent principle. So if if the tapestry lasts three hundred years and no one can find the file, and the hard drives are corrupted or it's been lost somehow, um, the tapestry becomes the original because it's the only thing that's left. It's the same when we go to. Natural History Museum or the British Museum, and um, we have pieces of clay and pottery from, you know, Mesopotamia or, or uh, ancient civilizations. That that's not the only stone bowl that was ever made, but if if it's the only fragment we have of it, then that is the original stone bowl or one of the originals. So um, yeah, I guess I understand originality to be. I, I look at it in terms of what's what's the most durable way of preserving something because then it has the best chance of becoming the original later.
0: So this is interesting. We have to talk uh, about the work. These are digital files and you source images from the internet. Can you say something about what the tapestries? What do do they look like?
1: They look to me like a a proto screen from um, a time before the world was awash with the screens that we now have because they function in a very similar way. They're woven from just red, green, and blue and small combinations of those threads when you stand back at a distance forms uh, an image. Um, So to me they have a kind of very very digital feel but also very tactile um, woven traditional feel Um, but they're very high resolution. So I think from a distance, most people think they're a print before they up very close and realised that it's actually woven. Um, so yeah, which is a really nice um, surprise. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a texture there's a kind of textual quality to them that I'm really interested in. I actually just had a show last night um, called NFTism, created by um, Kenny Schachter in London here, which was you know um, 100 screens in the gallery. And uh, I still just don't really relate to screens very well. There's something missing. You know, I don't know how to describe what it is, but uh, I think we all feel it. And um, When there's better ways to display digital things in the future, might be through augmented reality or through glasses or, or through some way of like, stitching digital things into the physical fabric of the world we experience, then it might be become more compelling, but um, I still just don't really relate. So. Um yeah these tapestries in the gallery they have the feeling of a screen but they have some sort of tactile quality that they like they like a screen that I wish a screen could be or something
0: because you do work on the screen right
1: Yeah working on it is okay but I don't know why that is Um it's still like not it's still Uh, When the tapestry finally is made, I feel like I finally get to see the work at scale because the screen that I work on is quite small. So it's a really um, great moment for me when I get to see the tapestry for the first time. Um, Yeah, the screens, they're just not really there yet, I think, for me.
0: So you exhibited uh at... the whole gallery in, in New York and now you have a show in Stockholm at Carl Kostiel Hospital. It is, 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 are those paintings at, here in Stockholm right now, are they part of the same body of work?
1: Yeah, they are. So, um, the show in, uh, in New York was very well received and um, written about by one of America's great art critics, his name's Donald cuspit Um and that was a real honor for me. But the funny thing is, he didn't actually mention NFTs once at all. He only focused on the tapestry itself and on the kind of gestural kind of content uh, of the painting. And he, um, he cut the like key, because I, I did that show actually with a Swedish artist. That I invited, um, her name is Hannah Hansdottir. She's a, she's a glassblower from the, area of crystal, uh, crystal production in Sweden that's been happening for 500 years and she um, she makes these gorgeous, beautiful glass-blown objects that uh, feel kind of quite digital and futuristic but they're, they're produced in glass which I, I thought was also a very similar kind of strange traditional counterpoint to being digital. She uses glass, I use tapestry but we're aiming towards kind of biomorphic future world um so taking tradition with us into the future and um he focused primarily on on that this amazing old art critic who's 85 years old and um but he didn't talk about nfts once and i thought that was really great that he was able just to access the show for other reasons which was really good um but uh, yeah so we did that show it was very well received and uh, then this show in stockholm was the first time I've ever released any more work from that same body of kind of portraiture of, pe- of, of people. Um, yeah, so it's a con- uh, the first evolution from that. Um, and, yeah.
0: So the tapestry in Stockholm, you can buy them as well as NFTs, right?
1: No, I actually didn't do the NFT thing. The, to find out which is the original, which is the tapestry but I think if I kept on doing it, it wouldn't be um, I mean, I think yeah, it it wouldn't be as interesting so this time we did just the tapestry alone and the file of the work I think might not be available for these ones Um, or if, if it was to be, I feel like I might reach out to the collectors from this show and ask them if they would like to have the nft as well and then come to some agreement with them that they have both because the final piece in the new york show um was acquired by an nft collector actually who only buys files but then after everything they've read and all the press they've read about the show they wanted both to truly own the the work they they decided they would have both and that was his name's Pablo Frail in Florida he's um, the guy who originally um, sold the first people for six million dollars earlier in 2020 which kicked off the whole Christie's thing everything that happened after that so when he decided that he wanted to own both of them and, and I feel really interested in the fact that an NFT collector had now kind of graduated towards acquiring physical artworks. And so they now have this tapestry um, in one of their houses in Florida and um, they love it. And I feel, I feel like that was a really nice way for me to introduce them to the traditional gallery world. But they still got to interact with me via Super rare and the NFT platform. Uh, but the point being, I think it's interesting now if, if somebody instead of two collectors owning different versions of of the work or different instances of the original, um, maybe it's better that collectors own both, and then the NFT functions as a kind of registry of the ownership of the tapestry, potentially. That's where I think the the whole uh, market will go soon. All all assets will be traded in that way, Um, even property, houses, wine. Basically anything, if you if you buy it, it you'll, it'll be registered on a blockchain and um, your ownership of it will be that registry. But the tying it to the actual physical thing um, is, is the complication at the moment. How do we actually link them together?
0: You know what, can we talk a little bit uh, about age for a moment? Because you and I are very similar in age. And we make part of a micro generation called Seniors, and that's people born in the late 1970s and the early 1980s. And we, the Seniors, are described as having had an analog childhood and then a digital young adulthood. Um, I'm actually not making this up. Uh, because Senniel yeah. was no, included in Oxford. I've never Oxford. heard the term
1: before, but it's perfect. Yeah,
0: yeah no, because uh, was, Senniel was included in the Oxford Dictionary of English last year. Um, really? Yeah, so I was thinking, can you relate to this at all? Do you remember when the digital sort of came into your world and, and was that revolutionary, was that fantastic thing? Can you remember
1: I can, yeah. It was a bit weird though. But um, but yeah, I I definitely had a very analog, tape-based, record-based cassette kind of uh, childhood. Everything was very analog. But in 1985, I think CDs, they might have come out before that compact disc, but I remember when I was about four or five, a family friend had a great uh, stereo with classical music on on CD. And... so i was fasc- i i was fascinated by looking at this really super shiny silver disc it kind of blew my mind because before that it had been cassette but uh, my my father actually uh had this kind of keyboard that you could connect through a phone line to connect to a database to a mainframe for it was for for architecture quotes or something in nineteen eighty four or five so The first experience of me going on the internet was just a a very banal, boring, ugly cable without even a screen. It would just print out information from the printer. So it still seemed very analog to me even though it was supposedly digital. I still experienced everything with like a a dot matrix printer and um, very kind of 1980s speakers and hi-fi amplifiers. Um, So everything still, even though it was becoming digital it was all still quite analog to me and, and even now it still is uh, um people think of the digital as this kind of ether that's like floating around the air or somehow it's like immaterial but um I'm very aware of the, the cables and the pipes that go into the ocean that are like extremely physical and the copper that's used to to, to be mined to make the wires it, it's all it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely kind of physical process still um so I haven't really lost touch with the kind of physical basis behind all of it, uh, and that that might be because of this senile thing, I guess. Um, the illusion doesn't work on me because, um, probably you either, because we grew up in a world where we, I mean, took things apart, but, and you could see the function, you could see how something worked inside of the, a the tape machine or the inside of a cassette or Sony Walkman or. You could un- unspool the cassette and see, you know, the, uh, everything. Um, things would jam, things would break. You had to fix them. And now, I guess this world that we're being sold—it's just the marketing that's changed. Because uh, I know the physical world behind all of it is just the same. So yeah, maybe we do have some sort of unique position to be a bridge between the world before and the world after. Um, yeah, absolutely.
0: Do you think, what's the role of the artist? Because like you said, you started off in video work, you've been interested in the digital, you find your way by a painting. What's what's the role? Do you think, what's the what's the artist's job?
1: I think it's to leave behind um, some sort of objects and a legacy of materials that had some reflection of the, exactly the specific time that was experienced by that person. I I guess I understand it in kind of an artisanal way way, where if there was to be an archaeologist in the future who needed to carbon date something it should be, the object should speak about the time that it was was, uh, occurring and it's important not to mislead that archaeologist by making some sort of strange replica of a time that you weren't experiencing there's a lot of work that kind of mirrors the 1930s right now for some strange reason in the 1920s a lot of trends in painting tend to kind of use this very ornate art deco language but um I don't really understand exactly other than that it's aesthetically pleasing or that it looks like somehow it has the gravity of history what, what it's got to do with the present I think at least this way if I make these kind of things they, they'll speak very clearly to the time that they came from um, even long after this time is over um and that's hopefully that's what artists do is um, try to try to leave something behind for the culture that was producing it or yeah something like that
0: and what you were saying earlier about what was true 15 years ago about software is so not true today we should have this conversation in say 15 years time and look back on this now because i think uh, that things mm. are happening
1: oh absolutely i I don't think screens will be uh, there'll be no such thing as a screen in 15 years talking about a screen as ridiculous as me talking about a cassette right uh i'm pretty sure everything will be wearable so you'll have a uh, glasses or eyewear, or contact lenses, eventually. Um, so yeah, everything will be spatial, and um, I, I might be really finally impressed by that.
0: Are you that looking world? forward to that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, when that's successfully in this world, and and not just all the early jagged, clunky, early. St- Stages, because I know we're going to have to go right through that all again. I think that's what we're doing right now. Um, that's why we love this kind of jagged pixel kind of aesthetic again, because we're we're going to have to go back to that, because we don't have this computing speed to to, to render things in space in real time um, with any kind of resolution yet. Uh, that's why you know the world's trying to go 5G so we can. Because the the amount of complex mathematics you have to do to render something, the lighting and the shading and the shadows to make it look convincing, as convincing as looking at um, a vase of flowers in front of you or any object in the world, um, is is a huge amount of processing power to to do that successfully. And, and we're nowhere near having a data. I mean, in London right now, I have to put my phone on three G sometimes because um, the four G network gets overloaded and I can't get any data. So, I mean, I'm still having to put up with that. So I don't expect things to be rendered in space um, very successfully by this 5G network for at least 15 years. I wish I could kind of sometimes go away for 15 years and go to sleep and then just wake up and uh, experience the sophisticated end of it. Because anyway, (laughs) that's not possible. But um, that world though, I'm kind of painting for that world and in that world, um I'll be able to finally make like really, really engaging, gigantic paintings that might be, you know, fifty foot tall, uh and and have, you know, as much detail when you go up as close as as a nose length away from them. You can see every single little detail. Um and I can't wait to paint for that world, but um that's not here yet. But um it will be. And so I'll, uh, but, but even then we'll have the same problem where it might be like this amazing mirage that's like really, really impressive, like a shimmer in the desert that's really, really engaging when you're there seeing it at the time, but then storing it and preserving it and showing it to your grandchildren might also be really difficult. So I might always defer back to the tapestry and then have these fantastic mirages that, um, are very impressive for a little while but um, I'm not sure if I'll ever be convinced of, of them lasting long enough
0: well it's it's all that but it, it, something about being a human being is that we are going to end too the, our yes. life has an end and um, I guess and we'll I may never
1: see that world I don't know if I will I know it will come but I don't know if I'll be in it I, I mean I, I don't know but yes
0: yeah. Thank you so much. For now, um for this moment, I thank you very much for speaking with me today and I hope to speak to you again many times and maybe in about 15 years to to talk about what we spoke about today.
1: Let's do it. I, I would I would love that.
0: I think that's good.
1: Uh, what what year would that be? It must be uh, 2036 Yeah. 37. Yeah. Okay. That's all right. Let's do it. I'm going
0: to speak to you before. It. I hope so. Okay. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Bye Have for now. Have a net. good
0: day. Yeah, you too. Bye, Bye for now. Bye.